Well, y'all have heard the story, haven't you? Aladdin rubbed the lamp, and a genie appeared. Have y'all heard that story? Yeah. He gave Aladdin three wishes. Now, in the Disney movie, remember Aladdin's first wish? Oh, come on. Haven't y'all watched your Disney movies recently? Aladdin asked to be a prince. That was his first wish. And then the second wish, Aladdin was about to drown. And he said, Genie, save me. And he said, that's your second wish. Okay, so he saved him from drowning. And then the third wish that Aladdin wanted was that he wanted the genie to be free. So remember, the genie lost those little shackles on his wrist. And Robin Williams was free. He, he was the voice of the genie, if you didn't know. If you find a lamp in your attic, and you're polishing it, and a genie came out, what would your wishes be? Have you ever thought about that? I used to think about that when I was a kid, and I would sit there and logically process what wishes I would ask for. And the first one would be, I wish I had a thousand more wishes. That was my first one. I didn't know if that would count or not, so, so I had a whole list here. In our scripture passage, God appears to Solomon in a dream. Solomon was the new king. And he says, Solomon, what do you wish for me to give to you? I mean, why can't I have a dream like that? See, God is a whole lot more powerful than a genie and a lamp, because genie and lamps are not true. God is. Solomon could have asked for anything. God didn't put limitations on what Solomon could ask for. And so we know what Solomon asked for, but I I wonder what went through his mind before he gave God his answer. Think about the situation Solomon was in. He was a young man. He was in his early 20s. He was the new king who was following his father, who was a legend. I mean, how do you top King David? I mean, how would you like to follow someone who who wrote a bunch of the Psalms in the Bible? All right, Solomon, your dad wrote the Bible. What'd you do? But he's following this man. David was called a man after God's own heart. I mean, David, when he was just a a middle schooler, killed Goliath without any weapons at all. But a sling. So Solomon was in his early 20s. What had he done with his life? Well, he was raised in privilege. He was of the royal family. He had never had a need in his life. I mean, it's tough following a legend because expectations are so high. And don't forget, Solomon had something else going against him as this new king. His mother was Bathsheba. But that's a story for a different sermon. We're not going to go there today. So when God comes to him and he says, what do you wish for me to give to you? 
Solomon could have asked for anything. Now, one thing we know about Solomon was that he was a practical person. His, his dad, King David, was an emotional wreck. He was all over the place. He was a really emotional person. Ups and downs. He, he was led by his heart. Solomon was led by his head. He was reasoned. He was logical. We have two children, and one is reasoned and logical. One is emotional all over the place. So I understand how they could come from the same family. So this reasoned, logical King Solomon answers God, and it's in verse 9. He says, Lord, give me an understanding heart. Isn't that weird? Usually understanding comes from your head. Give me an understanding heart so I can govern your people well and know the difference between right and wrong. That's his answer to God. That sounds pretty admirable for a politician like Solomon. I'd like to hear one of our politicians today say that. That's a pretty good answer for, for a king who had nearly unlimited power. Lord, give me an understanding heart so I can govern your people well and know the difference between right and wrong. Now, God's response to Solomon is really interesting. And it's not as simple as we think it is. Because the English translation of what is in the Hebrew is not very clear. In most English translations, verse 10 says, and the Lord was pleased. Now, that's kind of tricky because the Lord was indeed pleased, but he wasn't completely overjoyed. One translation from the Hebrew is that God thought Solomon's request seemed reasonable enough. Like, okay, Solomon, that's pretty good. That's not bad. I'm pleased with that. He didn't ask for riches. He didn't ask for popularity. He asked to have wisdom to be a good administrative king. All right. Okay. That's pretty good. Have you ever thought about what wisdom is? You know, some people you say, you, you look at them and you say, that's a wise person. What does it mean to have wisdom? Wisdom, I think, is the ability to put theory into practice. It's taking life experience, taking everything we know, and making good decisions from it. It's real world wisdom. It's not being the high, most highly educated person. It's just having a good sense about you. Solomon asked to have wisdom, to be a good administrative king. He didn't have a lot of life experience, Solomon didn't, for this wisdom to come from. I mean, he's in his early 20s. He was the new king of a small but important nation. He needed experience quickly if he was going to figure out what to do as the king. Because he was surrounded by people who were lifelong politicians, and he was brand new. He didn't know what he was doing. So his, 
his request from God makes a lot of sense. So God granted Solomon's wish. He became incredibly smart and wise. And he knew how to take the smarts and live it out in the real world. And God said that because Solomon didn't ask for wealth or fame like he could have, God was going to throw those things in anyway, as a bonus maybe, out of God's grace and love. See, when we look at the writings of Solomon's life that we find in the Bible, when we look at the government records from other nations in this time, we see Solomon's name. And what we learn, even from these sources outside of the Bible from 1000 BC, is that under his leadership, Solomon grew this nation to become incredibly wealthy. One of the most powerful nations on earth, actually. And he became one of the most famous people on earth. See, God was faithful in his promises to Solomon. But that's not all that God told Solomon in that dream. See, after giving him wisdom and money and fame, God almost offers him a hidden warning, if you will. And it's in verse 14, if you have your Bibles. So God gives him all this stuff. And he says, Solomon, if, if you follow me, and if you keep my decrees and commands as your father David did, I will bless you all the days of your life. See, that word if is a little word, but my goodness, it's a big word, isn't it? If you follow me, if you live by the ways of life that I've set forth that you should live, I'm going to bless you. It's as if God is saying to Solomon, asking for wisdom is good, but don't forget about something more important. See, having smarts, having money, having fame is great. I mean, heck, I'd take it. But what's more important is what Solomon didn't ask for. A life that's faithful to God. He didn't ask for that. He didn't say, Lord, keep me close to you all the days of my life. He didn't say, Lord, let me be a blessing in other people's life by the way I live mine. He could have asked for that, but he didn't. And so God reminds him, you can have the wisdom and I'll throw in wealth and fame. But if you really want me to bless you, Live faithfully to, for me. See, we could be a church that does great things, and we do, do, do wonderful things. We could be a church in which our growth is the fastest growing Methodist church in Kentucky. We could be known as the number one church in the country. Centenary United Methodist in Danville. The greatest church on earth. 
But if we're not faithful to God, who cares? God calls us to be faithful above all else. Above anything else, he calls us to be faithful to his word. Not faithful to success. Not faithful in our financial ledger, although that's part of being faithful to God. Not faithful in doing what the world says to do, but being faithful to what God tells us to do in his word. See, by the time Solomon got to the end of his life, the nation was wealthy. It had multiple foreign treaties with international alliances. It had a huge army with chariots. Very few nations had chariots because they were so expensive. People would come from all over the world just to meet King Solomon. Yet for as successful as a king that he was, there were some issues. There were some issues. I mean, they had lots of international alliances, but how they got them is that he married a whole bunch of pagan women. Yeah, probably not the smartest thing to do, but it made sense for being wise to administrate the kingdom. He worshipped other gods to please those foreign governments. We wouldn't want those foreign nations to be upset with us, so we'd better worship their gods. Sound familiar today? He enslaved his own people because it made financial sense for the kingdom. We could pay people to do stuff or we could not pay them. Well, we can keep taxes down if we don't pay them. So let's not pay them. Let's force them to work. See, he asked God for wisdom to be a good administrative leader. But he neglected his own relationship with God in the process. In Solomon's mind, being a good leader was more important to him than living faithfully for God. There's a trend in the Christian church in America these days that you may not even be aware of. Pastors are aware of it because it's put in front of us all the time. There's a focus on one word that they say pastors should focus on more than anything else. You know what that word is? It's leadership. You can go to Asbury Seminary and get a master's degree in Christian leadership. Learn how to lead people. I've been trying to find a a continuing education conference to go to. But every continuing education conference for pastors I can find has to do with leadership. I'm looking for something to teach me how to follow Jesus. What this tells me is that we may have a Solomon problem in the church. They teach you how to do all the administrative stuff, how to lead people, how to organize people. But what about following Jesus? 
See, Jesus didn't teach his disciples to be good leaders. He taught his disciples how to be good followers. Because if we don't know how to follow Jesus, how can we invite other people to follow Jesus? And that's not just for pastors, it's for all of us. See, Solomon's problem was that he used the gift and the blessings that God gave him ultimately for himself. He was very selfish. It's like, it's like making a faith promise for missions. We focused on that the past few weeks. You say, okay, God, I'm gonna, by faith, I'm gonna say that I'm gonna support missions with these funds that I don't even have. I don't know where they're gonna come from. And then God blesses you with those funds. You didn't know where, it, I mean, you just get a check in the mail. Now, when, you, when that happens, you better use God's blessing for God. That's not God's way of saying, I know you made a faith promise, but here, go to Disney World. These are God's funds. That would be misusing the blessing of God. See, Solomon became so successful, so powerful, so popular, he didn't think he needed God anymore. So in his own life, and as he ran the nation, he left God behind. When Solomon built the temple, for example, he built it so that people would see what he could do, so that people would remember that he was the one who did it. And to this day, if you've been in a Bible study, we call it Solomon's temple, don't we? We don't call it Almighty God's temple. And the enslaving his own people that I mentioned, that's how he built the temple. The temple to worship God he never paid his people. He forced them to build it. See, Solomon didn't realize or he forgot or he ignored that how we do something is just as important as what we do. Especially when it's for God. See, as a church, we honor God by how we treat people. As a church, we honor God by how we manage the church finances or anything. See, nothing is more important for a church. Nothing is more important in your life than being faithful to God. To living a life that follows the way in the Bible we see how we're supposed to live our lives. That's why we have this book. How are we supposed to live? It's right here. And when God blesses our faithfulness to him, let's be sure to give God the credit. May we never, I mean ever, become so proud of who we are that we think we can handle life on our own. That's not a problem for me. I'm nothing. I need God every second of the day. But sometimes we can say, God, thanks for getting me to where I am right now. I've got it from here. Thanks. That's not a good approach to life. 
See, Solomon had everything the world had to offer. And it started as a gift from God. But he misused that gift. And he used that gift for himself, for his own ego, for his own prestige. I hope you realize something about yourself. You know that God has given you multiple gifts? Not, not talents. We've got some really talented people here. And yes, God gives us those. But I'm talking about what we sometimes refer to as spiritual gifts. God's given everybody spiritual gifts. The Bible lists what these are. You can look up Romans, Romans 12. 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians chapter 4. Maybe we should offer a a short course to allow you to discover what your spiritual gifts are. Because it's important to know what spiritual gifts God's given us so we can know how we should use them. It's important to understand how God made us so that we can live our lives more faithfully for him. God has given each one of us specific gifts so that we can be a blessing to other people. And so that we don't, like Solomon did, misuse the blessings of God by using them for our own gain. And not for God. Let's live our lives so that every moment of every day, after people leave our, once we leave somebody, they're not talking about us, they're talking about Jesus. Or do we want people talking about us because our lives are all about us? Let's live faithfully, not successfully. Let's be faithful. That's what God asks. Let's pray.